Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's About Time for True Crime. Hey. Hi. You guys, happy almost Christmas. I know. And happy third day of Hanukkah for all of our Hanukkah celebrators out there. I know. Whatever you celebrate, this is the the holiday season. It's hopping, baby. It's like, this is the time. So we are so excited that we get to be with you. And if you have those notifications on, like uh, you follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, you might get a little treat. You just might. You might. You might. But we'll see. We don't know. We'll ask Santa. See if we can put no a word with this. I know. Are you on the naughty or nice list? That's the real question here. I don't know. I think it kind of net evens for me. (laughs) (laughs) Net zero. Yeah. I'm in a neutral. (laughs) It might be a slightly positive. Okay. Uh, But I did really shit on Adam Strong last last episode. So I don't know. That might have put me back to Um, zero. He deserved that, though. Yeah. But, you know. I think if he had it coming to him, I don't know. Scheme. I still don't like to throw out the bad vibes, but sometimes you just got to say it out loud, you but know? But sometimes if they're a piece of shit, you just have to call them as you see them. You know, that's right. I literally s- wrote down POS exclamation point when I was talking about him. I know. <laughs> because he, he is was. a piece but anyway, of shit. New episode, new day, new case, new day, new everything. And we don't have to spend a minute longer on that fucker. No, we don't. Um, What are you guys doing? What are your plans? Are holidays okay for you? I know they can be really tough for some people. Do you guys dress up or are you a pajama all day kind of person? Personally, mm-hmm. pajamas for the win. See, my family does kind of both. We'll do like pajamas most of the day. And then once everybody comes over and it's like a family affair, we'll put on something a little bit nicer. But it's usually like the sweater you got for Christmas that you're excited to wear because it's cute. Um, or we would do something a little bit nicer. But then the next day we it's boxer day. Mm-hmm. It's technically boxing day, the yes. 26th. But we've named it boxer day because you don't get out of your boxers i like that so you get to enjoy everything and like all of the chaos of like people coming over can you can just relax for a day yeah see for us that is our christmas like we'll do either you know the weeks before or just afterwards we'll do like the family parties and everybody get together and do all that Mm -hmm. but on the actual day of christmas like the 25th that is just a pajama day i love that right it's been so long since we've had just like a really nice low-key Christmas, but I think last year we had one of the best ones yet, and I think this year it's going to be really good too. I know. I'm just, I'm looking forward to it. Again, I don't really care what I get, or I just like giving gifts, so I think that that's really fun. Oh my gosh, you guys, if you're Bob's Burgers fans, we are in my house. We love Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Yesterday was kind of a high anxiety day, so we were like, you know what? We're going to put on some Bob's Burgers. We're going to calm down. Just decompress a little de-stress. Mm-hmm. Um, except it fucking made us cry. Because when Bob's Burgers gets you, like, it gets you. Like, it really... I don't know what it is. They know... Never seen an episode. The soft spots to touch. It's so funny most of the time. It's very mindless. It's, like, really good filler in the background. Something very sweet and wholesome to look at. That you're like, ah, oh, that's so cute. And there's enough adult humor that you're like, <laughs> nice. And then there's <laughs> enough kid humor that you're like, <laughs> nice. And then... Every now and then, they always hit you right in the middle of the, like, out of the blue. You never see it coming. And they're like, whammy, you love your family. And this is one of those. So, like, one of the kids who's normally, like, I don't know, kind of a little shit, but in, like, a good way. Her name is Louise. She's, like, one of the best ones. Is she the one that does that dance? 
No. No. Um, she has the bunny ears that are really tall and okay. she's really small. Um, she wrote a poem and she always writes one and submits it. That's about poop. Mm, but okay. hers got selected to be read and they all put it together like right at the last minute that it was actually a really sentimental one. And most of them are going to miss it. And then she reads the poem and we were both like sobbing. We we're like, that's so nice. She loves her family because <laughs> it's always about like or not always, but it was about you know being so excited about what you're gonna get and then looking up and realizing like that the best part of christmas is just hanging around with your weirdo family members that is all that it is. i know and i was like you love your family i love it and I, it was not the light fluffy that i was hoping but it was a yeah. very good cry like it was a happy cry see the guy who does bob's voice mm-hmm. voices archer in mm-hmm. the show archer and that's i love that show i think it's absolutely hilarious and nobody yes. is safe everyone's made fun of and i love it um similar he also voices bojack horseman okay this guy i mean he's got like a very recognizable distinct yeah hilarious voice but if you have not watched archer that's your assignment um i'll say the same thing about bojack but that has to be really careful you guys um i love bojack because it starts off really funny and dumb but later it gets really really good on sort of its commentary on mental illness and substance use disorder it's so good it took me a really long time to get around the the animal people like it took me a really long time to get around okay but i remember seeing you and you'd be sobbing oh my gosh after watching it so i'm not recommending that so yeah i was gonna say careful and like you absolutely should watch it but pick a good time for you it does have 30 minutes that will absolutely wreck my shit every time i see it like <laughs> i was probably depressed for two weeks after i watched the second you were not episode. you you were like glazed over you're like i don't know what life is <laughs> but if anything can do that to you and like really make you think and process and have to feel i think it's good media so it was a really good like well-produced 30 minutes the whole show is really well produced but just keep in mind it's great pick a good time to watch it all right i like it doing like the summer where you're not already depressed from it being so cold and dark oh. all the time oh see i don't know like i feel like spring yeah try yeah, it I- in may everybody <laughs> try it then i'm just gonna mark my little calendar i'll remind you again then <laughs> but bob's burgers and archer that that's the overall assignment absolutely are we ready i guess shall we yeah dive into this I'm pumped to be here, not pumped to hear what has to happen. So today, today, anyone who clicked on this knows Abby does not know because we do not share cases ahead of time. But today we're going to be talking about the murder of Doris Angleton. I love the name Doris. Yeah, well, she died. Fuck. I know. Well, I can't, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to bury the lead here. We, I know. That's why we're sitting here. It's a murder podcast. I get it. Uh, but... We're going to talk a little bit about Doris. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about her growing up. We're going to talk about her relationship. We're going to talk about her very untimely death. We're going to talk about who's arrested, a trial, and we're going to wrap it up. The whole nine. Okay. The whole thing. Okay. All right, Doris, let's do it. So, because I have to, I'm going to name some of the sources because, again, I will forget if I don't name them up front. You know this about me. This is what we do. TexasMonthly.com, CBS News, Academic Kids, Investigation Discovery, and various other newspaper articles. Also, you guys, if we ever don't say it and we do forget, they're always in our show notes. Always Always. in the show notes. And like Tuesday's 
when they're hyperlinked because there's just too many to fit into our 4,000 character max. Mm-hmm. If you just see a list of numbers, all of those are hyperlinks to our different sources. So and you just, can just click you know. them. Yep. Another thing that I looked at was um, I watched a episode of a show called The 1990s, The Deadliest Decade. Ooh. And this was actually their pilot episode. Oh my gosh. What's that on? Um, oh, geez. I want to say it's on Hulu. Okay. I oh, think I'm it so is. excited. Yes. So I did watch that and then obviously fact checked everything. But they right. had a lot of in- a lot of the interviews and quotes and things come from the actual interviews <laughs> from the people that said them there. That's awesome. So. Okay. Just wanted to mention that. All right. So let's get into it. All right. Doris was born Doris Elizabeth McGowan. Okay. And she was actually the first born to Randy McGowan, who was a chemical engineer, and his wife, Laura Ann, who went by Ann. Okay. And Doris was born in 1951. Aww. She had a little brother named Stephen, who was born in 1955. They grew up in Lake Jackson, Texas, and later went to school for speech pathology. Oh, sick, Doris. Once she graduated, though, she actually started working as a school teacher, and then she sort of changed hats, and she worked as a sales rep for a pharmaceutical company. Oh, damn. Okay. So, in 1976, at the age of 25, she married a man named William Beck, or Bill Beck. Okay. And together, they moved to a quiet suburb outside of Houston, Texas, and Bill got involved in some illegal gambling. Bill... And lost quite a few buckaroos to a man named Bob Angleton. Oh. Does Angleton sound familiar? Yeah. Yes. So, at the age of 28, Doris met Bob Angleton at a party, and the two of them hit it off immediately. Okay. She was having problems with her marriage to Bill. Bob was having issues in his marriage, because he was married at the time, and the two really hit it off. She files for divorce. Bob sweeps her off of her feet and this guy's got money he said you're not you're not staying on the market long sweetheart no rolling in it and he just wooed her with these fancy dinners and very 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 expensive gifts and attention and adoration and her focus was on bob Mm -hmm. so a little bit about bob Bob or Robert, but no one called him that. So it's Bob. Grew up in New Jersey and he came from a pretty wealthy family. He and his brother Roger would travel with their parents to Greece where his dad oh. was where his dad was from. Shit, okay. And during the summers they would sail on the family yacht. Oh my gosh. If that tells you anything about I can his childhood. Taste the truffle. So his brother Roger was older, but he was a bit of a problem child growing up. He would get kicked out of schools. He'd wreck family cars. He got in trouble a lot. Oh, and Roger. Things were different with Bob. Bob had a big mouth, but he could back it up, too. And he was six feet tall, just about, a little, little more. About Jeez. 200 pounds. He was witty. He was confident. He didn't waste time with drugs or alcohol. He was business-oriented. And he met a pretty girl, and he moved to Florida and bought a franchise for, like, this restaurant. Oh, shit. Okay. And things didn't work out with that girl, so instead, he left Florida, he moved to Texas, and he bought a used car lot. And at this time, he ended up meeting a couple of bookies who invited him to work with them. And he took notes on what they did right, but more importantly, took notes on what they did wrong, and figured out that this was his calling. And just to 
give you some information if you don't know what like bookkeeping is or what a bookie mm-hmm. is. It's the illegal gambling guy. Mm. So he would take the bets, pay out the winners. Got it. Typically it's like sports bets, but I guess it can be on other things. But in this case, he was doing sports best. Ugh. Sports bets. Okay. And so, again, illegal. And none of this money is taxed. None of it's whatever. Gambling was illegal in Texas. And a lot of people knew what he did Mm -hmm. and didn't care a whole lot about it. Right. So in Houston at this time, bookkeeping wasn't seen as this bad thing. I mean, to the police, it it was. Mm -hmm. But to your average person, and especially the wealthy crowd that he ran in, they were all gambling. So it's like this wasn't frowned upon. He was jaywalking. Yeah, it was to like them. this was a business transaction. Right. And a lot of people didn't see a whole lot wrong with it because they didn't really see any victims. No one forced you into gambling. If you gambled that money, you lost, you lost it. Right. You did that. And if you won, you won, cool, you won. But that was really how people looked at it. Years ago, bookkeeping was a little bit different and it was the shady guy who mm-hmm. was shifty. Think suit and tie now. Because right. this this is what we're talking about in Houston. And sure, so, okay. beautiful neighborhood, white picket fence. Think these guys mm-hmm. and bookies. Not maybe what you might have thought. Right. Okay, that's fair. So, Doris married Bob in 1982, knowing full well what he did for work. And in 1984, so just two years later, she actually gave birth to their twin daughters. Whoa. They named them Alessandra and Nicole, but they went by Allie and Nikki. So Aww. normally when they're referred later, it's just Allie and Nikki. And things looked amazing from the outside looking in. Bob bought their house in cash for over $600,000. What? Yes. And this was when? This was in the 80s. Holy shit. I know. So they also owned a golf course and... <laughs> Owns like a couple of other like maybe community centers or something like that. Oh, natural. He found ways to funnel his money into legit business too. Because really, his bread and butter was his illegal gambling. Like his, his, you know, his bookkeeping. So that isn't exactly legit. taxes? Yeah, he needed something to show for it. So he had all of this, you know, legit money too. And... They belonged to these expensive clubs and they had all of these outings and they had like a supper club and they would just feast and they'd have all this. Oh my God. Yes. Like this is the elite of the elite of the elite. They lived in River Oaks, which was the bee's knees of Houston. Ooh. Like think CEOs live here. Shit. Astronauts live here. Ex- I'm going to look it up. Ex-presidents want to live here. It might end up on my zillow list of places that i just look at to look at (laughs) well i would recommend it okay so in 1991 we're gonna fast forward a little bit okay it's doris's birthday she's turning the big 4-0 damn and bob threw a huge event for her birthday party and when i say huge i mean hired impersonators hired holy hell like very expensive caterers people were all dressed up a little bit of glitz and glam but also fun with alcohol and entertainment yeah and not an inch of the room not covered in streamers and decorations and balloons i mean it was an all-out party 
I'm looking at the houses that are up right now, and they are yeah. freaking beautiful. I yeah. Okay, I know. Sorry. So this is where this is where they're living, mm-hmm. and just keep that in the back of your mind. So at this party, Doris looks uncomfortable. Oh, like she's having a good time. Yeah, you know she's it's all people that she knows, but really. She's not having a great time. Okay. And this night is all about her. So all the attention is on her. And people are noticing this. And people started to wonder, like, was she happy? Mm-hmm. They didn't really look it. And who was the party really for? Right. Was, was it-, it for Doris to show his love and adoration for her? Or was it so people could see Bob throw this big party? Right. Right. Those are the kinds of things that you have to wonder. Well, because I think about me. Right. And if I was put in that situation, yeah, it sounds fun on face value, but I would much rather go to a party than host a party because mm-hmm. I want to leave when I want to leave. I don't want to have to stick it out with my social battery at zero as an introvert. And I could definitely see how like, you know, it might be as something as simple as that as like, OK, I really could have just preferred like ordering pizza and watching a movie. But this is what we're doing now. Well, I think she liked the glitz and the glam and the money. Mm-hmm. She just wasn't happy in her relationship with Bob right. that this party wasn't that great. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I and it was really all about him throwing this party. That's what I'm yeah. leaning toward. I don't really think that this party was about her. I right. think it was for all of the people that gamble to see how much money he has, right? Right. Because these are CEOs and, like, his clients the, or the people that are, like, participating are not like you and I. Yeah, they're not nobodies. No. No. They are somebodies. Yeah. Like, capital S. And he had to live in their neighborhood to really right. sell that. And, and he did. He sold it. It kind of felt like, or it kind of sounds like... He was saying, see, I am on your level. It does not matter. Absolutely. What my day job is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the Texas Monthly published a story called The Bookmaker's Wife. And I really like the description that this person gives. Mm-hmm. So the article reads, something about Doris Angleton made people look at her twice. Slender, manicured, athletic, with flawless skin and slightly highlighted auburn hair that fell to her shoulders. When she stood outside her suburban in the carpool line at her daughter's elite private school, she'd wave at all the other mothers, seemingly incapable of radiating anything other than affection. Oh. And she's beautiful. She is. She's yeah. gorgeous. And I think the way that that's described is very on on par. Yeah, it puts... You know exactly who they're talking about when they say that. Yeah, she's beautiful, yeah. but she's very well manicured. Her hair is just so. Her nails are always done. She's always dressed very well. Mm-hmm. She drives a nice big mom car. and She's you the know, first one at the pickup. She's the first one. Yeah, she did all yeah. the volunteering at the schools, and she did whatever, but she also didn't have to work, so she, she could do all of those things. The baking for the sales. Uh, yes, and, yeah. mm-hmm. or hire the most expensive caterer to do it because they had the money for that. Right. So this is how we're... Doris is described, but, you know, her husband's into some shady shiz. Right. And acquaintances believed he was involved in real estate investments, but some of the closer people knew what he was doing. So maybe not everybody and their brother knew what his, you know, real job was. Right. But friends or people that they were close with were aware and it didn't deter anybody from, like, hanging out with them. Right. Actually, they'd probably be like, hey, let me in on that. And this guy had several millions of dollars oh. to his name. And I'm oh not my kidding. Word. And 
While he had all of this money, and by extension, so did Doris, Mm -hmm. it didn't mean that their marriage was a happy one. No, money does not mean happiness. He would shower her with these expensive gifts and excursions, but really there wasn't a whole lot of genuine affection there. Mm -hmm. And that same bookkeeper's wife story said this about Bob. Said, Angleton was not particularly friendly. He had no patience for small talk. He didn't display a great sense of humor. And whenever someone asked him what he did for a living... He was evasive, saying that he invested in real estate or that he ran a Houston courier service. Though some of the softball moms and dads were curious as to just what Doris saw in him, they had to admit that Angleton made sure his family got the best in life. Which is really saying, he's an asshole, but hey, he's got a shit ton of money you don't have to want for anything. He'll provide for you. Yeah. Yeah. So Doris felt lonely. Sure, she had every material item that she could have ever dreamed of and her daughters got opportunities she never had growing up but something was still missing for sure yeah it's not a partner it's no an income it's a sugar daddy yeah come on and this is the 90s the internet is new and there's this really cool thing called america online Mm. or as you may know it as aol (laughs) so uh now of course they had a computer in their home uh, they had certainly had the money for it, and now Doris has access to chat rooms, and she particularly likes the chat room called Over 40, Ooh. and there she meets a man who uses the screen name Thunder Road 609. Thunder Road? Now, Thunder Road 609 is from- 69? Nope. <laughs> 609. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's from New Jersey, and oh. they get to talking, and they are- having a great time so much so that they exchange phone numbers they're talking on the phone at night oh Oh, damn so she ends up flying to arizona with some friends of hers and what do you know so does thunder road 609 oh my so they meet in person and they hit it off they actually have a great time Mm -hmm. and there's instant chemistry and they were so into each other that he even flew to Houston, which I think is ballsy. Very. Flew to Houston, stayed in a nearby hotel, and then saw her, like, in their own town. Like, in her town. Holy hell. So, yeah, she was fully cheating on Bob. And in 1996, Doris told Bob that she wanted a divorce. There, ballsy on her end, too? It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of love there. Right. And she had met this new man. That she was very serious about. And things hadn't been going well for a while. Mm-hmm. And Bob would spend a lot of hours not home. So she'd right. spend a lot of time home alone. She didn't have a job during the day. Her life was the kids. But when the kids were in school, that's eight hours a day every day. Not of, doing anything. Of feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. And this is really what led up to her asking for a divorce in 96 and he seemed okay with it Mm -hmm. Uh, when they discussed finances he fully agreed to give her half holy hell he probably had to agree though because really he didn't need anyone snooping into his money right and trying to figure out how he's making it so he agreed to give her one and a half million of his three million now i believe he had a lot more than three million because he was making millions a year now, right. of course, things cost money, whatever, but I think she thought that, too, that he had money in different places, and let's be honest, this guy's savvy, right. so sure he did. And, you know, by all accounts, even though maybe there might have been a discrepancy 
with how much money she was mm-hmm. owed. Um, it seemed amicable. Yeah. And regardless of how many he had, I would not cough at one and a half million. That's a lot of zeros. Well, apparently she did. Oh, my Doris. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to April of 97. So at the end of 1996, she's asked for a divorce. This is a few months later, April of 97. Allie and Nikki have softball game. Okay. Um, They're on this team together. Bob is their coach. So, yep, their dad is also their coach. (laughs) And uh, they had a game on this particular day and bob was already at the softball field for the game there early families see him other kids are showing up blah 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 he's the coach yes and doris was dropping the girls off there so she comes in her car drops them off and he says one of the girls forgot the softball bat that they want to use at home could you go grab it okay and so she said yeah i can do that she would change because i don't know she didn't like what she was wearing and she'd come right back so Dora said goodbye to her girls. She left. They will never see her again. Ugh. So Bob and the twins are waiting for Doris to come back to the game, but she never does. So they're kind of looking over their shoulder for her. She hasn't come back. And by the time the game's over and she's still not there, they're concerned. So they right. don't go anywhere after the game but home. They just go straight home. And Bob pulls into the driveway and notices that one of the side doors is open. Ugh. Which was odd because they never just left doors open. And he has the girls wait in the car. He says, you know, don't get out. I'm not telling you to. But I'm going to go check inside the house. And he walks up to the door, calls to Doris from the doorway. She no, she doesn't answer. No one answers. And he had an eerie feeling. So he goes back to the car and I guess had a cell phone, a car phone to call. And he calls 911. Okay. And... He says he believes that his wife's inside, and when he called to her, she didn't answer, and he didn't want to leave his kids outside while he went in, but he also didn't want his kids to go in with him. Right. So he didn't really feel like he had a different way about it. I get that. So police arrive. They go in the same door that was already a little bit open, and they move throughout the house. As they're walking, one of them kicks a shell casing. So immediately... That's concerning. Yeah. So guns are drawn. They get into the kitchen dining room area, and that's where they find her. Ugh. Doris Angleton was found lying on the floor, face down, with her head turned to the left. She had been shot seven times in the head. Oh, my God. And five times in the chest. Holy hell, 12 times? She was shot 12 times. There was no way that she would have survived those injuries. So some officers go outside to notify Bob that she's passed away mm-hmm. and others stay inside and just start canvassing the home because they have to make sure that the shooter isn't still there right you don't know you know that the very first thing they need to do is secure the scene right absolutely so investigators are now looking for any clues or any information that they can gather from inside this house there yeah. are no signs of forced entry they live in a very nice neighborhood that didn't mean that people left their doors open in this neighborhood though right they had a very elaborate alarm like security system for the time i guess okay and all the doors and all the windows were locked so that seemed to be pretty on par you know yeah if someone had tried to get in any of those ways then the alarm would have gone off 
Okay. So it seems like they must have either come in after her. Or come in with her. Yep. Yeah. Something like that. So that's what they're thinking. So then they kind of look around and they see that she had a lot of jewelry. I mean, I'm sure anytime they got into a fight, he bought her how many right. diamond necklaces or whatever. She had lots of jewelry. I feel like he's the kind of guy that he comes home with three dozen roses and has like the K jewelers box. And they're like, what did he do? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And none of the jewelry was stolen. So that was interesting. That was weird. And the house doesn't look like it was ransacked. So yeah. they're leaning away from this might have been a robbery. Right. Because really you think someone's breaking into one of the wealthiest neighborhoods. They got to be after something. Yeah. To right. A million in the jewelry pile over there that barely makes a dent. So nothing had been rummaged through. There was no forced entry. The valuables were left untouched oh yeah so this looks like a really weird scene mm-hmm. so they also notice by looking at her body that she's got no bruises no defensive wounds no anything so basically there's no sign of a struggle mm-hmm. she was entirely caught off guard when she was gunned down it looked like she had walked in and she must have just been shot from behind oh my god didn't even see it had no idea was just done was down and then whoever shot her just left because they weren't in the house right they certainly didn't take anything or take anything that anyone would notice yeah that was it so with this information investigators are believing that this is a hit of some kind right someone wanted her dead it looked very calculated it was making plan sure as shit that she did not leave she did not survive it that's that's overkill but it looks like someone may have either entered the house or was waiting for her to enter the house. Right. Killed her and left. To them, they don't know if that's a professional hit, like if there was a hitman, but it mm-hmm. looked like someone just wanted Dora's dead and then once that was done, they were done. Right. And that is concerning. But Indeed. there were no obvious motives at this point. Right. So, I really like the writing that um, the Texas Monthly article had. This is how they described the scene at night. So, this happened during the day. Hours passed. Now, the house is, like, wrapped in crime scene tape and things are cordoned off and it's all the blue lights and it's all the everything. And the article says, throughout the night, the Angleton's neighbors stood on their scrupulously tended lawns. I hate that word. (laughs) Scrupulously. I got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, watching, they didn't write that in the article, <laughs> scrupulously. Um, watching as the police wrapped yellow crime scene tape around the white crepe myrtles that surrounded the Angleton house. Ooh. Their faces pale in the glare of the camera lights. They gave the obligatory interviews to the television crews about the Angletons being such nice people. They said they couldn't imagine this brutal crime happening in their snug world. Naturally. I just liked the way that they sort of set a scene with that. Yeah. But it was like, oh, they're rich, rich. Like in their little bathrobe standing right. on their like manicured lawns looking over at this house that they've probably been over at least one night a week for the last decade. Yeah. So what so many of them knew, but no one said out loud, was that Bob Angleton handled between 20 and $40 million in sports bets every single year. Yeah. That means he made enemies along the way. 20 to 40 millions. 
each year of enemies because it's all the people not winning. Mm-hmm. So, so also all the women hung out all the time, all the wives of these people, or maybe they themselves were the CEOs. I I don't right. know, and. These it's wo- the 90s. These women got together, and of course, they all knew about Doris's affair. They all knew that Doris right. had filed for divorce. They all knew that this relationship was going to end. The only reason it wasn't just, like, public, public yet was because they didn't want the girls to know. Right. Until they finished the school year. That makes complete sense. So, it was April. The school year probably wrapped up in May or June. Yeah. And Give it a... Yeah, they were a few weeks. You can do it. They knew, and you know, over the winter that they were going to be divorced, but didn't let the kids know. You're unhappy for years. What six months? You know. So let's get into where investigators went next. Okay. Okay. So they spoke with Bob and asked if he knew anyone who would want to kill him or Doris, and he proceeded to tell them that there were probably several people (laughs) that did. (laughs) At least he's honest. Yes, and he didn't really hold this back at all. He said, "Yeah, he's a bookie." And had actually been arrested in the 80s for it. But instead, he struck up a deal. What the deal was, was that he was actually an informant. And he was a rat and offered up information on other bookies. And then those bookies would get arrested. And this was honestly the deal of the century for him. Because if you think about it, he got out of jail for that initial arrest, whatever that was. He got out of serving any time for that. He got... A deal, so basically the police are agreeing to look the other way on what he's doing. So he's right. kind of invincible. And he's turning in other people, which means his competition is getting whittled down and whittled down. And then once his you know competition, once the other bookie got, gets arrested, he just takes his business. Right. And so now those are his, those are his people. And the police know what he's doing to get this information. Absolutely. So he's good as gold. So he's still making millions throughout all of this. So he did... Very well, I guess, out of this situation. He was just the lucky one that got arrested first or agreed to be the rat or whatever. Right. But as people were getting arrested, it became kind of clear that they were putting together that he was the informant. Yeah. When you're the only one not getting arrested. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it could be any of them is what he said. He's like, take your pick. There's a few that were extra pissed. Right. But really, any of them could have done it, and I bet they would have been quiet about it. So this set investigators on, like, a war path, really, of just trying to figure out who would have done what, interviewing all of them. A lot of them are incarcerated. It was a whole thing. But every lead they had in that direction amounted to nothing. Oh. No, None of them (laughs) put out a hit on Doris. So, you know, everyone had an alibi, which... Also included Bob because, uh, hello, everybody saw him at that softball game. Right. He coached the entire time. Everyone saw Doris leave. He didn't follow her. He yep. wasn't there. So. He had ball to play. Mm-hmm. And so investigators switch gears and they go down the chat room rabbit hole. Mm. So, you know, they see how charming and funny Doris was in this chat room. And I guess she really was. She was funny and cutesy and was on there all the time and it was like really a community in there but they could also see that she had this special connection with whoever the fuck thunder road 609 was (laughs) and could see that they both sort of shared how happy they were in their marriages they talked about how you know having money doesn't really mean that 
you're happy because this other guy was doing very well right also from new jersey which i think is funny (laughs) not jersey not related but they would talk every single day which was not something that happened then like and i know our generation right we've always had access pretty much to talk to whoever whenever i mean you could be across the globe and i could talk to you if i wanted to right and every day if we wanted without it costing extra money for long distance without any of that this was brand new yeah holy shit i can actually talk to somebody every day if i want to yeah that's across the country i can build this connection so this was the first of its kind really never before could you communicate day in and day out the way that they did right and again you know our generation should always take a pause and look at that because we've never known anything different than what we have yeah and i'm sure that there was a lot of freedom and not being so accessible all the time oh my gosh constantly but in this case she was home alone a lot her husband was away at work the kids were either at school or asleep or at a sporting game or whatever right she spent a lot of time alone or kind of alone so she was talking to this other man and again never before could you never have to actually leave the house to fall for another person yeah. she did she fell for this new jersey man from her, from her living room from her bedroom from her phone and investigators actually tracked this guy down and nice. this man who just seemed to get doris right this is yeah. you know he just he got just along with me. her a little too well right and uh well he too had an alibi and was not their guy Naturally. So that was a whole rabbit hole they went down That didn't amount to a whole lot, but did air the boyfriend she had, which Bob said he had no idea about until after she was dead. So he's, Bob said he had no idea that she was cheating. He, I mean, they were getting divorced. That that wasn't new to him, but he had no idea that she had this other man that she was literally discussing marriage with. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So they're back to the drawing board. They go back to Bob. They say, Bobby, what's going on here? Do you have any other ideas of who might want to hurt you, hurt Doris, hurt your family? He says, well, actually, yeah, I do. And I was hesitant to say anything before because I didn't think it would matter. But he had received a letter in the mail from Roger. Remember, Roger's his kind of problematic older brother. And this letter said that Bob better pay Roger $200,000. Or he'll go snitching about his bookkeeping. Oh. And he kind of didn't take it seriously. Bob well, didn't especially think if that it amounted to anything. Your police know about it already? I mean, that's kind of a weightless threat. So weird and a bit eerie, but Bob said it wasn't anything that he thought twice about. Okay. He really wasn't concerned. And investigators look a little bit into Roger... And Roger had actually briefly worked for Bob in this business, so he would have actually known that he was a bookie and kind of know a little bit about what he was doing and right. who he was dealing with, but was too much of a loose cannon and was fired. Naturally. So Bob was like, you're done. And Roger was like, no. But he couldn't hold down a job. He couldn't do anything else. So he kind of thought, yeah, I'll work for my brother. This will be easy. And then gets fired. He was kind of pissed about that. So... Credit card receipts show that Roger, who lived in California, mind you, did not live in Texas, lived in California. Okay. He was in Houston at the time that Doris was murdered. Oh. 
Oh. And they could see that in his receipts. Interesting. So, by the time they were looking for him, he was gone. Because a lot of time, the time has passed in this, in this, you know, what we've been talking about here. Right, naturally. I was going to say time has passed in this time. But time, time has <laughs> passed in this time, damn it. Time has passed in this time. It has. And I wouldn't lie to you. So, he was arrested in Las Vegas. Oh, and Las was actually Vegas. wanted in other cities for various crimes. But that's where he was. He was in a jail in Vegas. Oh, he was in in jail in Vegas. Oh, he was. Oh, my. Roger. And they found a briefcase. And this briefcase had some very damning evidence. This was Roger's briefcase. They found a typed out set of instructions for breaking into the Angleton home. Including how to disarm the alarm with the code, where to stand, when to expect her home, all the information they would, whoever the killer would be, would need to know about the house, getting into the house undetected, killing her, and leaving without an issue. And this is all in Roger's briefcase? This is all in Roger's briefcase. They also find $64,000. Which had Bob Angleton's fingerprints on it. Sounds right. And they found a cassette tape. So, the cassette tape had the voices of two men. They played the tape. One of them said, as long as she walks in the door, you've got her. Okay. The other said, then when she's down, I go up to her and finish her. And then the first one says, she can't live through that. Now, people are divided. Mm-hmm. Many believe one of the voices is definitely Roger. Okay. They feel pretty confident in that. Makes sense. The tape was in his bag. Right. But when it comes to the other voice, it's a mixed bag. Interesting. Because some believe wholeheartedly that it's Bob. Mm-hmm. And others feel just as strongly that, it's, that it isn't. Interesting. So, investigators believe that Bob hired Roger to murder Doris. Yeah. So, Bob hired his own brother to kill his wife. That sounds... And paid him a pretty penny to do it. And it looked like a hit from the start. So that fits the bill. Roger's caught fleeing with money from Bob's home. That's weird. It's got Bob's fingerprints on it. There's instructions on how to get into the home. A plan to carry it out. Also, and then, intimate knowledge of their security system. Yeah, which who else would know? Mm-hmm. And typed out on the paper. It, it's just very weird. Yeah. Only someone living in that house could have known such intimate details about the home, about the security system, yeah. about their routine. Where to stand, when to expect her? Like Any of it. There detailed. Was, there was also a bit of information, and I, I read a little bit about the transcript, but again, no, they won't say it's Bob. Mm-hmm. But there, it was about like what to do with the dog. Got it. Because they had a family dog, and right. they didn't want the dog to freak out freak out or yeah do anything and so one of the voices were like we'll let her out she's gonna have to pee and it was like no one other than the dog's owner would say that yeah do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah that's pretty damning odd right yeah but anyway moving on so yeah both roger and bob get arrested okay and this is later in 97 i think the fall of 97 Ooh, shit and, uh, like, the worst part of it, 
they both get arrested on the twins' 13th birthday. No. Like, what the fuck, right? They've already lost one parent. You couldn't have waited, like, two days. Or move it up a day, damn it. But whatever. Whatever. Just thought that really sucked. So, Roger actually agrees to testify against Bob for a lesser sentence. They're both snitches. But in the family. Days before his interview, and a brief trigger warning here, Roger kills himself in his cell. Oh. He used a standard issued razor from the jail and cut himself and oh, died buddy. just a couple of days before he was gonna give whatever damning information to police that he could have. So he never got to give it. No, but instead he left a note. Okay. The note said that he couldn't live with the guilt of his brother going down for the crime that he committed and that he murdered Doris and that Bob was innocent. Oh. So the trial was delayed because of this, obviously, but eventually began in 1998. So Bob's on trial for his wife's murder after already spending one year in jail. And just to remind you, again, their twins have now been without both parents for this entire time. For at least a year damn so in this trial all of their dirty laundry is aired because that's what happens yeah absolutely. her affair their pending divorce the briefcase and its contents and the theory that roger killed her while bob you know solidified his alibi the murder looking like a hit with no robbery decent motive he doesn't want to lose out in his money yeah and the motive that the prosecutor really drives home is that he didn't want a diver- divorce, or at the very least, he was okay with divorcing but not giving her so much money. He didn't want to have to pay her millions of dollars that he didn't even want her to know about, let alone have. Right. And she was pursuing it. She was not letting up on, I know there's more. And she had filed paperwork to try to get things done sooner rather than later because she knew that if time had passed, he would move all the money to somewhere that she'd never get it. Right. He's savvy. And he didn't want all of his money to come to light in those proceedings. That is all court documentation. All of that stuff ends up being public record. All of that would be looked over by a judge. It would not look good for him to not have, like, the easiest, like easy split ties right divorce and if the irs caught wind of just the sheer amount of money that he had and again obviously it was illegal and not taxed then he would be doing some prison time for that right because it's quite literally millions of dollars even though he made some legit business it was not legit business they caught al capone on tax evasion like things come to light with money they'll get bob angleton okay yeah. So, you know, Al, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> then the defense brings in an expert witness. So the prosecutor has laid out what they think. Defense says that they've got this witness who's like this audio and voice expert or something who says that the recording is not Bob on the cassette tape, or at least he's 80% sure that it isn't him. Interesting. Which was a huge part of what they were using in their trial, right? Because if you think the prosecutors are using the contents of the briefcase, they're saying that on the cassette tape, you can hear the conversation between Roger, who 
everyone pretty much agrees is it's Roger. Right. And Bob. Now, a lot of people believe that if it was Bob on that tape, he didn't know that he was being recorded and that it might be Roger's sort of insurance policy. Like he recorded him without telling him, basically admitting and planning it so that if right. Bob ever tried to throw Roger under the bus for it, he that he would have evidence. he would have this you know indisputable right. information. But now we've got the defense's expert witness saying that Mm-mm. in fact I'm pr- pretty much positive that this isn't Bob on here. So now yeah. you've got Roger and whoever his accomplice is. Not my client. Okay. Got it. Issues. This obviously delivers a devastating blow to the state's case. Yeah. Because they were really banking on that being concrete evidence. Right. Now, the defense also brings in the twin daughters, who are only maybe 14 years old at this time. The twins are on the stand, and but the twins say that's not their dad's voice. They're like, that's not my dad. I know my dad's voice. That's not my dad. Right. But you put kids on trial who are still grieving their mother. 14-year-olds. Like, I cannot stress this enough. Not only do they not have either parent right now, they're probably doing whatever they can to get one back. To keep one. And how awful to try to turn them. I don't know. It's like, I I get why it might have been necessary. Maybe, I guess. I don't know. Maybe the girls were begging to get a chance to talk because yeah. they wanted their dad home. Because he's already been away a year waiting in jail. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But I hate when innocent children are put on a stand, which which just feels like something performative. I don't know. It just feels wrong. They are grieving and they are traumatized and they are babies. And their yeah. mom has been stolen from them in a horrific way. I'm sure, like, closed casket, shot in the head seven times. Yeah. I can't even imagine that. And what these girls are imagining that their mother looked like at that time. <sighs> Horrible. Hopefully they didn't have to see it. The and internet existed. Yeah. But now their dad is locked away and, you know, looks nothing like what they know him to be as this rich man, probably in, like, I don't think he was in an orange jumper. I mean, I think he actually got to wear a suit, but, like, he does not look like himself. They can't be in their home because, well, it was a crime scene and who would want to go back to it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Staying with whatever family or friends took them in. Ugh. Yeah, I could see how they would say whatever, even if they did think it was their dad's voice. I could see how they might say it's not him. Also, a little bit, like, they should have never had to hear that tape. No. that's They're talking about the plotting of their mother's death. They had to listen to it. And it's like, does this sound like your dad to you? Do you think your dad murdered your mom? Hey, we know that's Uncle Raji. Uh, mm-hmm. Who else is it? Do you know? Like, I, I, I get... How they could say that it needed to be done, sure. It doesn't mean that I like it. So I take that with a grain of salt because they are children. And their entire world has been inverted and publicized. Yeah. So, no. But anyway. The jury deliberates. They return a verdict. Okay. Not guilty. Okay. Some people in the courtroom clapped. Others sobbed. Some people just gasped. Some people walked out. Others rejoiced. 
Regardless, there was a lot of emotion in that room. But at the end of the day, Bob walked out of that courthouse a free man. Damn. But not totally free, I guess, because three years later, they brought him up on federal murder charges. Federal? Yep. Okay. So there's no double jeopardy when it's federal. Fascinating. So on the same charges of murder of Doris. Love it. But with that, he fled to Amsterdam. Okay. But I'm sure that his passport and everything was taken away from him because they didn't want him leaving. He wasn't allowed to leave. Right. So instead, he had a fake passport and a fake ID and fake papers. And with that, he got caught in Amsterdam with those fake papers. Good. So now... The U.S. tried to have him extradited on those murder charges because they still have a case for him. And the Dutch government said, yeah, we'll give him back to you, but you can't, you can't try him on the federal murder charges. Weird. We will allow you to extradite him and charge him with falsifying his papers that he used to get in here. Fascinating. I don't know how they did that. I don't know what diplomacy rules there are, but the fact that the Dutch government just sort of refused to say, we want it in writing that the only thing you're going to charge him with is falsifying falsifying the passport and identification and not the murder. Right. How the fuck did you have say in that? Oh, God. That's fascinating. I'm going to look into that. I'm like curious. Um, So, so then... He's back in the United States. Mm-hmm. In 2005, he's convicted of tax fraud. Ugh. And, of course, the falsifying of the papers Always. and blah, blah, blah. He serves time in prison from 2005 to 2012. That's a good chunk of his kids' lives. So, seven years. Which I just think is ironic because it's she was shot in the head seven times and he got seven years. So, But not I that it's for the same. But anyway. I think that's fine. Once released, because again, he was released in 2012. Right. Uh, it's rumored that he fled to Europe. Yeah. So he's no longer in the United States. We don't really know where he is, but he is somewhere believed to be in Europe. I could get that. And I tried not to dig too much into the twins' lives, mostly because I think yeah. they deserve some kind of normalcy. But in 2006, again, they were sort of back in the front i wouldn't say front page but you know back in the light in terms of okay their dad's recently just been incarcerated again this time for different charges cbs news interviewed the twins oh shit and they're in their early 20s in 2006 they're obviously older now but i didn't try to get anything on them now right i'm just looking at how they remembered their mom so just really quick Mm -hmm. i think they were probably 28 when he was released from jail in 2012 yeah because if they were 13 and 97, that would have made them yeah, well, they were born. They were born in 84. Yes, yeah, so they would have been 28 when this, when he got out right. and fled to Europe. But at the time of this Shit. interview, they were 22. Right. Okay. And so they were asking the girls about their mom, what they remembered. And Nikki said, I remember really specific things. Like every morning we would wake up to her laughing and she had an incredible laugh, like really, really, really loud, like vibrant. And it just, <laughs> and it just made you want to get up and go downstairs and see what's going on. Oh, and they just have these little pieces of memories of their right. mom, but not really full cohesive 
this was who she was and how life was. And to me, it's, it's awful that as happy as that memory is, that's the last of it. Those girls didn't have a chance to be kids. Their lives were entirely turned upside down. They lost both of their parents in different ways in one year. Yeah. They were too young to have had to experience any of that, no matter how much money their dad had. No. And Doris, was she having an affair? Yes. And I don't like when people cheat. Their relationship was a monogamous one. Yeah. Regardless, though, no excuse to kill somebody. It's a reason to get divorced. I can see how that might have come up. And they were both unhappy and, you know, already getting a divorce. Yeah. (laughs) It seemed like... You know, they agreed on that much. It seemed to be a mutual agreement on the divorce front, and it seemed like it was a pretty typical path to follow once you're out of love with someone. So I understand that. But absolutely, cheating should not be a death sentence, even if it's the end to a relationship. No, and I don't think that that was even the motive. I mean, really, Bob says he didn't know about the boyfriend. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But really, I think what it came down to was money. Yeah. But... Well, it kind of seems like that's his whole thing. That's yeah. really what he wants in life. And Doris was human. She made mistakes. And I'm sure that at no part of this did she think that every bit of her life would have been displayed like that. And so she's been sort of like vilified in some of them. Oh. And then others just celebrate how good of a person she was remembered as. And really right. not anyone had anything bad to say about her. And everything that I read about her was just she was beautiful. She was kind. She cared about what was going on with you. She asked you yeah. about your life. She actually cared. She was just remembered as a kind person. And then you have that contrast of how he's described, which is no sense of humor, very dry, very matter of fact, business only. Those people don't mix. No. Well, but then you also think, too, like, you know, we talked about with Tracy's case and all of that. Bad relationships don't start that way. He swept her off her feet. He paid attention. He made her feel special after a guy that she was married to got into a lot of deep shit and that probably scared her too to be like okay well if I'm gonna be with someone doing something that isn't right I might as well be comfortable that makes sense it doesn't mean what either of them did was right and he kept her out of his proceedings she knew what he did but that doesn't mean she was in the conference call not at all yeah she knew what he did he assured her that it wasn't as bad as it sounded he'd never get arrested for it it was a whole thing Mm -hmm. and really I mean again Suit and tie, beautiful home, white picket fence, you know, very affluent and with, you know, horseback riding and golf clubs and swim clubs and supper club and whatever the fuck they had. That doesn't scream criminal to you. That doesn't scream shady and seedy and, you know, subculture and, you know. Yeah. A subset of society that tells you. You're fucking living the dream. You have it all. Yeah. And we'll be happy because we won't have to want for anything. Right. What really she was wanting for was an actual relationship. An actual partner. Yeah. She found that at a time where the internet was new and chat rooms were. Oh my gosh. You know. It's a very early internet love story. Yes. But I think that's what sparked her wanting the divorce was, okay, there is more out there. There is someone I could connect with like this. And I think that's why she was moving forward with the divorce in the way that she was. And it was like, you're not going to, you know, hide money because you've hidden it this entire time. Yeah. But she probably threatened him. Not, I don't mean 
like she threatened him with words but i mean he felt threatened that his life would have been put on display and he needed to get rid of her well and everybody everybody knew Mm -hmm. right and that's the other thing so it's scary because everybody knows what you're doing so you're gonna have tons of people to back it up but she probably knows a lot more than like the average joe who Mm -hmm. maybe came and placed a bet with you once a few months ago she's the one that's been there every day for years yeah and maybe she was greedy i have no idea i don't know right anything about that but as of now everything that we've said is alleged because he was found not guilty and whatever the federal murder charge was that the Dutch government fucking hit Uno reverse on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have no idea how they did that. I'll say th- I'm definitely going to look into that. That's fascinating. Yeah, but, but it happened. Also, I mean, damn. Like, to me, the fact that they would bring it up again as a federal charge means they found something else that they thought was damning. Apparently. And then for that to just be, like, plucked from them. And they're like, like, well, mm, we know he's not going to come back. Nope. <laughs> so... You know, it was this whole thing, and I don't know. Maybe maybe he did it. Maybe he didn't. Right. I think he did, but I also think that man, with all of that money, yep. with all of those connections, mm-hmm. wouldn't have had his brother do it, I think. Yeah. I think he would have had access to someone legit who yeah. would have done it. My other thing is unfortunately i feel like when your name gets brought up a lot in something like this your actions are going to look very similar if you're guilty or not guilty that man had the means to flee the country maybe he just wanted to get away from people asking if he killed his wife Mm -hmm. you never know yeah you can look at it there's you can flip anything on its head if you want Mm -hmm. i think he has the most motive out of anybody if nobody had a damn thing to say about her that was bad Mm -hmm. Other than she had poor taste in men, that to me does not scream woman who's making enemies, except maybe on the PTA for who's going to be the president of the organization. Like, yeah, she herself didn't have enemies. He did. Right. He put a lot of people away from being, you know, he was snitching and then scooping up their business. So not only did he get rid of competition, but then he took, I mean, this was literally a a, a fucking touchdown for him. This was huge. He, you know what I'm saying? Like. He got the dream in terms of, like, it changed, shady business. It changed the game for him when he was able to eliminate competition, take on those clients, and, and so, know that he had a layer of protection. It wasn't right. going to be indefinite. It wasn't, you know, but it bought him time, and it got him a lot of money, and it allowed him to be a little bit more upfront about what he was doing. Right. Didn't have to be super seedy and shady about it, but really not all of them were because it was more accepted right i think i agree with you in my head he seems like option two for me option one would probably be someone who was put away or was about to and wanted to get back at him mm-hmm. and then whoever it is in my head close enough to know that there's a weird relationship with the brother could be could be that roger fully did it himself and if you believe his letter that he left he did that's what it said but a lot of people believe that he had told bob from the start that he would take the fall Mm -hmm. that he would he would kill her and he would do whatever and he knew he wasn't gonna 
make it out innocent in this. So he left a note that would he thought would spare his brother. Yeah. And, you know, he would do what he, you know, he would wrap it up. That's so sad. It's awful. And, you know, if Bob didn't do it, I don't think he's ever going to look at as if he didn't do it. Yeah. I think, I don't know. It's a shame. The whole thing's a, a shame, but so fucking pointless but he could have afforded to get someone that was not his brother but then you think okay if i'm bob and i'm thinking i'm very savvy and i'm thinking 10 steps ahead and i'm trying to be whatever doesn't it make sense to use the brother that has had threatened you well that's had issues i don't even know if he threatened him i'm i'm tempted to believe that that threatened letters is fake right but if i look at okay this guy's had trouble with the law He's got what a, he's got other issues going on. It's historic. There's a pattern. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a pattern there. So he can exploit his criminal history. Roger could have been on the straight and narrow. I have no idea. Right. But he could take advantage of the fact that Bob has been this, you know, very wealthy and has Charming. done whatever. And yeah, Roger has struggled to hold down a job. He could use that as saying that Roger resented him yeah. for it and wanted to hurt him in a way that that's he, motive yeah and i guess the letter that he wrote with the threat mm-hmm. said it would hurt him in a way he wouldn't be able to forget or something like that it was like oh, a very so very eerie, meticulous yes okay. it was very eerie and he got that a few months ago maybe in january and then by april she's dead and so it was like oh well i didn't think of it at the time because so much time had passed but really did you look at roger so he pointed the police at roger and then, of course, Roger's caught with this briefcase that has fucking everything in it. You know, it just seems It fishy. seems very convenient. Yeah. That's all. And here's the thing. You know, um, unfortunately, despite what we see on Criminal Minds and every TV show that we watch, most criminals, most offenders are not the brightest bulb in the box. Normally, it's not like... Here's a fun little scavenger hunt that'll lead you to a clue to the scene of my mm-hmm. next crime. It's usually like, yeah, you planned it how you thought you'd plan it, and it was pretty easy to catch on to. So, like, could that have been it? Absolutely. Occam's razor says simplest answer, go with it. But intuition and gut say, I don't know that that man is that dumb mm-hmm. to put it in writing, mail it, be so explicit and direct, then do the damn thing. And then leave and keep all of the damning evidence on you? Wouldn't you at least, like, throw it in a river or some shit? Right. Apparently not. Something. I don't know. It's just, it's very odd to me. Yeah. And I think it could go either way. Ultimately, Doris was murdered for absolutely no reason. Not that there's yeah. a re- ever a reason, but something just so callous and calculated and materialistic. Because that's really what I think it came down to. It just feels petty. Whether she was a pawn from an enemy who wanted to hurt Bob or it was Roger's doing entirely or it was Bob's doing or whatever. Whatever the reason was. Awful. And then there's those then there's those girls, those babies. Yeah. 13 years old, lose their mom after a softball game. Yeah. By 13, half of the girls haven't even had their period yet. Like she probably. They probably didn't even get a chance to, like, talk about the big stuff with their mom. No. And then they sit through this trial where that their dad's on. 
mm-hmm. and hear all of this awful stuff about their mom and her infidelity and how she, she was, was evil because she fell in love with a guy on the internet. She was going to marry this guy and, you know, she was gold digging to try to get money and it was all this yeah. and whatever any of those are true. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't care. People are imperfect. That's that's just humanity. And if you think you're perfect, think again. I hate to tell you that might be the flaw. <laughs> yes. So that she was still a person. Yeah. You're allowed to make mistakes without having your life on the line. She was a kind person, one that was there for her friends, present in her community, did everything. Her kids, she doted on them. Yeah. Adored them, didn't miss a thing. Ugh. Which is why it was so odd when she didn't return from the right grabbing the softball bat. And they were probably like, damn it, that was my fucking lucky bat. I'm going to lose this game. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the, I, I just think, again, I have to put myself in those positions. Maybe an extra 15 minutes goes by and you're like, damn, where's my mom? Like, I really wanted to. That was the bat. I knew I was going to win. And I always lost, start with why. that one. Yeah. yeah. Or like that, you know, if that's what's going through your mind and then it slowly turns to. Oh, my God. Where's my mom? Yeah. The, yeah. Did she. Did she get lost or, you know, did she, was she not able to find it? Did I leave it where I said I told her it was? Yeah. Is that what it is? Or, you know, well, hope she didn't get in a car accident or, you know what I'm saying? Anything that that goes like that and then you get home and the door's open. Yeah. Okay. And dad says, stay here. And you're I'm like. I'm going to go check. And then he comes back and calls the police with you in the car. Right. And all you can think is like, okay, I just saw home alone. I know what happens when the house gets broken into. And then, of course, all of that comes true. Like, these girls are going to need better security systems than anybody's ever seen. Well, security system doesn't and do anything therapy. when yeah. someone knows the fucking information. And well, they didn't know out, it at that point. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I just. Because dad types it up on a typewriter. Yeah. The fuck? Also, it just breaks my little heart because it's like. I don't know. Maybe this is a me thing, but I do not have a ton of memories from childhood. Like I do. I had a good childhood, but I kind of get what they're saying. It's not cohesive. I don't remember every day. I don't remember every week. I don't even remember most of the big assignments that I did in school. Actually, it's really fun to run into them because then I get to read it and I'm like, wow, she was smart then. Cool. You know, but But like, but these just these little snippets of like, like hearing your mom laughing, how annoyed they probably were. Like, mom, it's Saturday. Can you not be so it's loud? It's 8 a.m. Can yeah. you not? You know, and just thinking back fondly on those times where you might have been frustrated yeah. or you took them for granted or you did whatever. And those are the things that I think about when I try to put myself there. Yeah. Is just, do you, do you regret how it was? Could you have been better? You know what I mean? Like, you always, yeah. you rethink and you rethink and you rethink and you go through it and you think of all the things you could have done or should have done or would have done or right. would do now if you could. And the one last hug, the smell, oh my gosh. My strongest sense i think is my smell because i will smell something and i'll be right in the middle of a memory so i'm pretty sure and you should know this miss psych girl but i'm um you're the part of your brain that stores like your scent memory mm-hmm. and the part of your brain that stores your long-term memory yeah are like one close. and the same or right next to each other and so that's why you can like walk into a room and be like it's my second grade classroom yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know or like my grandmother made these cookies this one time and that's what it smelled like. Oh you my gosh, this I mean? is perfect. For me, 
oh my gosh one of my high school boyfriends had this Ooh. car freshener that a bunch of fucking people have and so that smell it is brings so you back to his car heavily associated yes. with that car that every time I'm like oh my god okay i'm past it but like it Seriously, hits me like though, a wall absolutely and i don't know for me i just I feel for the, I feel for those girls. Every time they smell their mom's perfume, it's going to be mm-hmm. all over again. Or their dad's cologne. Or like whatever shampoo they used on the dog when the dog went or to the groomer. Or whatever the dryer sheet smelled like. Or yeah. whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's just those things that I think could just send, just, you know, send you down a spiral. And it's just yeah. awful. And they're obviously adults now. They were born in, God, 84. So that makes them what? You know, they're 38 now. Yeah. Probably have kids of their own. Yeah, that, you know, wasn't long after Doris turned 40, it sounds like. Yeah, she was, she wasn't 50 yet. I mean, she turned 40 in 91. She died in 97, so she was 46. That has to be so hard. So to be, you know, within 10 years of when your mom was gunned down in your childhood home, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, I'm sure they think of that. And they also think that they're, if they have kids, that they don't know their grandparents their dad fucking fled to god knows where who knows if he stays in touch well and the other thing too is like then every year you get past that you think oh my gosh what would she have done if she got here and that i don't know what kind of grandmother would she be Mm -hmm. oh you know she would have been a bomb ass grandma Uh she would have had those kids with pancakes with the little smiley faces on them like she would be a bomb ass grandma i could just see it you know, and it just to me, again, it just shows like it doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter how nice your house is. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors, no matter how nice the door is. Yeah. To me, that just the door is Doris. <laughs> we'll take Scary. that out. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that it's also important to talk about that. Right. This woman probably thought she had it all. And she met this guy that, oh, my God, dotes on her. Yeah. And swooped her off her feet with just those nice necklaces and jewelry and fancy date nights and dinners that, like, reservations at the restaurants you could never get into. Right. He wants you to be happy. And, and he, he chose wants you, you to be provided for. Yeah. And if he, if all of his taste is expensive and the best of the best, there's going to be some internalizing of, like, yeah, then it's gonna he follow sees suit. me. Yeah. As the best of the best. He could probably have anyone and he's choosing me, right? Right. And all all of that. And I could see how that fantasy could play out. Well, especially, again, because it was coming right off of that marriage where... She wasn't happy. Her first marriage, Mm -hmm. she wasn't happy. But he lost a ton of money to this guy. So, like, you go from extreme debt to extreme wealth. That's going to be the side of the pendulum you're probably going to next. Like... Life is a balancing act. Just go back and forth until we find the middle. (laughs) Absolutely. And so that was the murder of Doris Angleton. Oh, horrific. So let us know. Send us an email. Leave us a comment. Who do you think did it? Do you think that Bob did it? Do you think that it was someone else entirely that we did not talk about? Do you think that it was solely Roger? Do you believe the letter? Yeah. Do you think it was an enemy? Let us know. If you wanted to comment it on a post where we put in all of the pictures of the people and the places that we're talking about we always do that for every case on our instagram that would be on our instagram at about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word 
A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast is too long. But if you wanted to theorize and conspiracy theorize with us, maybe, I don't know, send us a little email. You could send in little photos of your pod pets, your oh, pod we love your pod pets. Um, and cases that you're interested in, your take on this one, but it would if it's longer than Instagram would allow. Allie, how would they do that? So you would email us at about time numeric four tc at gmail.com. So that would be a b o u t t i m e numeric four tc at gmail.com. Yeah, you guys, if you needed that just like written down like I do, it will always be in our show notes, as will our sources for every case that we ever do. So you can find us, you can find where we found our info. And we love it. We love you guys. We love you guys. We thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We hope that you have just the happiest holidays you ever could. Hell yes. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Christmas. And we will catch you quite soon. But if I look at my watch, that was About about Time for True Crime. Bye. Bye.